we get so pulled down, whether it's emotionally or whatever it is. And we think, oh, I just like, I just don't want to do it anymore. I want to give up. And it's like, well, no, but once you reach whatever it is you're trying to reach for, you totally forget about everything else, right? So if you just remind yourself that like, I'm just going to keep doing it because when I get there, it's going to wipe out all of the pain, suffering, everything I've done because I made it. What are we talking about on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast? We're talking about business, specifically your business. Is it growing or are you stuck? How painful is that growth? Is it running you or are you running it? Are you working in your business or on your business? On the Grow Your Damn Business podcast, we explore these questions and much more. Expect a lively, spirited discussion about what it takes to grow your damn business. And now, on to the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. So great to have everyone with us today. And today I'm joined by Rachel King. Rachel, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to spend time with you. Yeah, it's good. Look, looking forward to this conversation. Rachel is the owner and the supervising attorney for our own, own law firm, King Law, which is its own entrepreneurial journey, which we'll get to in a little bit. So Rachel, let's just talk about sort of uh, decisions and choices along the way. We talked very briefly before we got started just about that first big decision that you made coming out of school, which was to go into the military. Let's just talk a little bit about that, and then we'll we'll switch over into your legal career. But I always like to, to hear about uh, choosing a path of service to get things started. I actually did not intend to join the military <laughs> after high school. I come from a family who it does not serve in the military. Okay. So it was a unplanned. I started college. I learned very quickly, probably about six weeks into the semester that I wasn't ready, but, or maybe college decided that for me. I wasn't going to class. It was very easy to not go to class. And so I think it was about the six week mark that my professors started saying something to me. And I realized that I just wasn't mentally in the game, even though I come from a very educated family. So... When I decided not to go to college, my family said, well, no more money. Um, And I had to make a really quick decision as to what I wanted to do. And I'm sure you know, uh, you don't have a very great resume coming out of high school. So I wasn't bringing in the money that I wanted to support myself. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I laugh because people now always say, oh, it's so expensive for 18-year-olds. How do people make it? It was really expensive when I was 18. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, no, I, no doubt, right? I mean, it's all re- relative to the time. Um, I, I just, you know, it's interesting that you, you took that realization on it and you said easy not to go to class, but there are plenty of folks that even though not going to class, stay stay the course, right? So was there, you mentioned a couple of professors, was there a moment where it would just sort of, you know, kind of hit you like a cold water in the face? Like, oh, this is just not for me. Can you think of that time where it was before making that decision? Because it's just an interesting inflection point to be able to do that at 18. I mean, it's a mature decision, um, <laughs> right? I know you said you weren't going to class, but it's a mature decision to say, I'm not, I'm, it's not for me yet or not for me now. I've never actually told anybody this. So this will be my first oh. time. Uh, okay, good. Hey, we gotta, <laughs> I'd like to, I'd like to have these kind of conversations. Great stuff. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. So September 11th actually happened during my first semester in college. And I'm not going to get into kind of that event, but I will say that I, while it was upsetting and, and the whole country was going through this, I was actually, I found out that, or I, I discovered within myself that I was using that as kind of even more of a justification not to go to college. And it wasn't about 
truly how sad I was. It was just kind of like, oh, look it, I can say this. And all of a sudden it's becoming more accepted. And then I, I, I don't know the exact moment that I decided that it wasn't really going to work, but I do remember it was probably sometime in October. And I think college started in August where I thought this is, I'm not, my head is not in this. I am not passing my classes. I'm not going to class. And now I'm using like a catastrophic event to justify not going to class. And I didn't really like that whole idea. So I decided to pivot and um, I I didn't join the army immediately. I kind of fluffed off. And then right. when I realized that fluffing off wasn't working and I couldn't get a job that paid me to have my all the things I wanted, <laughs> the military was left and they accepted me and it was like a joy. Um, yeah. A funny story if you have time. I remember sure. yeah. my mom said to me, you can't live here anymore right? You're, 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 you're not in school. You're not working. Like you can't live here. And I remember going to the military, going to the military, you go through MEPS and they yeah. said, well, we can ship you out in six months. And I said, I knew myself. So I thought, well, I'm going to have a plan B within six months because I'm a pretty, uh, I, I'm pretty ambitious and I'm really resilient. So I looked yeah. at the recruiter and I said, if you can get me out in two weeks, I'll sign my contract. And the reason I chose two weeks was because I figured I could take a contract back to my mom and be like, mom, I joined the military. Can I sleep at your house for two weeks? <laughs> two weeks of housing. Yeah. And it worked. It worked. <laughs> you know, we, within, um, you know, within our, my coaching practice and within EOS, we use something called Colby to help folks really ident- identify with type of person and how they act. And, and so my guess is that you're pretty high in that quick start uh, is one of the categories there, right? You're ready to, to, to jump in and go and do, right? That's it just yeah, yeah. sounds like that's, that's it, right. <laughs> Let me go out there and, and make it happen. So you spent six years in the military, right? Six uh, I was about huh? seven years. So I, seven year. okay. yeah, I joined yeah. in uh, shortly after graduating high school and I, I, I was stationed in Alaska Interestingly enough, also, I guess I'm I'm pretty fast to learn about myself. I, I figured out about a, two years in that I was not, the military was not for me. I didn't like taking orders particularly. That's probably why I have my own company. Uh, and I also liked doing things the best possible way. And just because of the military structure, when you're brand new, you don't get to tell all the higher ups what to do. So I I knew very early on in my military career that I was not going to be long-term, but I also knew, okay, what, what am I going to do after this? And so I can, I actually re-enlisted and I continued on so that I could have my bachelor's degree virtually done by the time I was finished in the military and then use my education benefits for my law school. So that's how I ended up at seven years, but it was not because I, I mean, that's still solid planning there, you know, in our early twenties to, to have that plan and and do that. So what was the, what was the decision point? Once again, I love these inflection points that that you've had along the way and you get a chance to look back and what what was the inflection point to say, okay, law is, is the thing, right? Cause you weren't, I mean, that that requires studying and going to class, right? So that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> have to do that. We didn't start there, right? And you didn't take a traditional path, you know. So that's a non-traditional path to to doing that. So what what was it? Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna commit. This is the thing for me. Was was there anything that said that you know I'm gonna pursue a career in law? I grew up in a family of lawyers. So actually, my dad and my cousin 
uh, our lawyers, we now have multiple lawyers. So I was really familiar with the law. And I, I actually, since I was in high school, I wanted to be a lawyer. I just actually did understand, maybe I have more self-awareness than I ever gave myself credit for. I did understand that I wanted to be a lawyer. I just didn't really know when. I had a child, very, what I would consider very young at 21. And after she was born, she kind of, you know, kickstarted me. And I thought, oh gosh, I'm already 21. I can't even afford diapers. I got to get this ball rolling if I'm going to be an attorney, like, during, yeah. for, as a career. And I didn't want it to be a second career, right? I wanted this to be my career. That, you wanted that to be the career. Yeah. yeah so yeah. that's kind of how I ended up there. When I made the decision to actually become an attorney, the going to school, I knocked it out. Like I it was it. just, I did great in school. There's that, there's that quick start again, coming back in, right? I'm going to, going to do it. Uh, <laughs> we, we share this in common, but in, in a different uh, context. So my father was also a veteran. He actually um, enrolled in ROTC and then ended up in Vietnam. So oh. that was his, his time. Un unexpected. I don't think he was planning on that. That's what happened. And became an attorney. And and so I did, did law school. And uh, as I was thinking about, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to go to school and go there. And he said, well, just please just, just don't go into the military and don't become an attorney. <laughs> <laughs> that was the advice. He goes, do the, whatever else it ends up doing. And so, I, you know, my path went, uh, my career path went, went in a completely different direction. But those, those, that advice, he wasn't going to tell me what to do. He was just simply going to say, just, just don't do these things. So I, I don't ironically, when I told my dad I was going to be an attorney, he said the same thing. Like, don't do that. It's such a don't stressful yeah. career. Uh, so I would never tell my kids not to be an attorney, but I will say it's right. a lot of work and it is super stressful. So it's not for the faint of heart. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Right. And, and, the, and the time spent. So let's just talk. So now graduate law school. Did you ever work for another firm or was it, I'm going my own path right from the jump? Like, let's talk about you're going to making that decision now that you've got your degree. Obviously now it's time to go make some money that, that you've invested all this time and energy into the degree. So just tell me about that a little bit. Then we'll get into your work today with, uh, with King Law. I knew I was going to, or I planned to open a firm right away. Keep in mind, yeah. I was much older by the time I, with a lot of life experience, I'd been mm -hmm. in the military right. for seven years at the time <laughs> yeah. that I passed the bar. I passed it my first try. So that was exciting. But I already had three children. I'd been mar I was married. I owned a house. Right. So my life experience was at a different point. And be again, because I was in the military and I had been separated from my children, because of my husband was deployed and we went through a deployment, my top priority when I became an attorney was to not to be able to control my environment and make sure that I was available for my kids and that I was available for my husband. My support system was so incredibly strong. And That's I really awesome. credit my yeah. husband and my children and my parents for supporting me through the law school journey. But by the time I was done, I felt like I need to have them be the focus. And that is not how it works when you're a brand new attorney at a law firm. So yeah. opening my own firm was required from a, a work-life balance standpoint, but I'd also owned okay. previous companies, so I wasn't afraid. Okay. You're not afraid. I have to tell you something funny. I, my, my father passed a couple of years back and we're in the process of, of cleaning up the house and going through all the stuff that you find when your, your parents go through that. And I and you mentioned passing the bar. I, I, I found in some box that he had stored that he had kept 
uh, a Western Union telegram. So I'd never held a Western <laughs> Union telegram, but if, saying congratulations, you've you've passed the Virginia bar. You went to law school in Virginia, but you've passed Virginia. I'm like, held on to that one, pops, for a while. <laughs> That's so cool. It's a really big deal. I know. I obviously he kept on. I mean, I mean, I don't think he had. They had moved. 20 something years ago from the house that I had grown up in. And I'm not sure he'd ever reopened the box. So that was going to left to us to do. I was like, I cannot believe some of the stuff that was in here, but he had, he had kept that in there, that that was the telegram congratulating him on passing the Virginia That's bar. So pretty, cool. Yeah. Pretty, pretty great. Right. All right. So let's talk about the journey. So you've got, you, you, you open up your own firm and you said, look, that's what you needed to do from a work-life balance. But obviously as life goes on here, go, go all in. Let's just, let's just talk about that journey a little bit. You get your first few clients. A lot of times when we talk to to, to folks that, that are starting out their own journey, the, the first hire, the first couple of hires are the most stressful and, and the most critical. So let's just talk about who's the first person or people that you bring on to, to make a go of this, right? Because you can do a lot of it your, yourself, but at some point in time, if you're going to have a business, you got to scale the business. So let's just talk about a couple of those first hires and what was that like? And, you know, okay, now someone's on my payroll. <laughs> my first hire didn't happen until about two years in. Okay. So I did all of it myself. I'm a big believer. Wow. Again, I've owned multiple companies. I still own multiple companies. I'm a big believer in knowing how to do lots of the jobs. You don't want to do them, but you should at least know mm -hmm. that way you can tell if people are working uh, correctly and you have an understanding of the business as a whole. So also, I didn't have any money. I started my law firm with $1,800 and I, I, yeah, hit the ground running again. There um, it is. Right. It's happening. <laughs> Quick start. Let's get after it. I love it. I love um, it. So I hired my first person it, about two years in and it was an somebody I went to law school with actually uh, that hadn't passed the bar that was working on it. So she was really great because she kind of uh, had some legal knowledge. I knew what kind of legal knowledge she had, but she honestly helped me with everything. She, as many yeah. first hires are, you don't really know where they're going to fit. So she did the answering of the phones. She did paralegal work for me. She did a lot. And she also, she was with me for about three and a half years. She taught me a huge amount about how to, you know, be a lawyer and how to run a firm. Because even though I'd come from lawyers and I'd owned other companies. Every business is a little bit unique. And so I was, yeah. you know, fresh off the bus or whatever. Sure. I mean, that, so did, you mentioned uh, influence of your father. Did he work for a firm or did he own his own practice? He did, did both. So he worked oh, he okay. at firms. He also owned his own practice. He kind of went back and forth over the years. Now he's still practicing and he has his own firm. So I, I yeah. did actually rely very heavily on on him and my cousin sure. for how to do things because they both had experience owning their own firms. But it's still hard, you know. You're it's your license Absolutely. on the yeah. line. It's your yeah. shingle. It's everything. Uh, so my first hire was Carly. She's great. She's now passed the bar and is doing amazing things at the law firm she moved to. After right. that, it was a receptionist uh, because I didn't realize how quickly the phones start ringing, right? <laughs> Which is a good thing, but it, is it, a good it takes thing. you away from what you got to do. That's actually, yeah, it's an, it's an interesting thing. Yeah. So that when the, when the phone's got, you need, it, these are the critical things that have to happen. And, and, and you yeah. know, when I first started practicing, Scott, I wanted to practice how I wanted to be represented, right? So it was really okay. my goal mm -hmm. to provide a representation that was uh, consistent with being a millennial, but also consistent with how I would want to interact with an attorney. I didn't 
I, I didn't and I still don't like big, huge marble offices. Uh, so I answered the phone myself. And that was one of the yeah. selling points when I first practiced. Then as you start getting new clients and having income, you know, uh, leads, but then also current clients, it got out of control quickly. And so I ended up bringing two people on that within the the two year mark, they were very close together. And then since then it's kind of, kind of snowballed. And that's, that's, that's awesome. You know, one of the things that we Spent a lot of time talk, talking about with with clients that that are, are within the world of running an EOS, but just even those that are considering how they're going to expand and, and grow their businesses are those first few hires. And, and when do you choose to delegate that work that you simply you can do, but you just you sh- you shouldn't be doing right? You're obviously yeah. better leveraged doing that that higher value work. There's a, a great book I reference often. It's called Who Not How, but it's it's about finding all the right who's. Don't and let them do it. Like them, do, let, yeah. That's they're really good at that, right? So you hire a good reception. She's really good at that. Yes, you can do it. It's nice face, but that's not a good leverage point for the attorney, right? Right. So. And I, uh, I really tell I tell clients too, you know, because it's a really hard thing to let go. You put all your passion Absolutely. into your company, and yeah. I, I my husband owns a company too, and I still have to remind him to this day. You just give them what you don't want to do, right? It's okay to answer the phones all the time, if that is like your heart and your soul and your baby, then don't give it up. But if you don't like it, give it to somebody else, let them do it. And at this point, I can say that much of my staff do it better than I do, or I could. And they're better at it. They like to do it. Right. And so what, what, and what we often find and work with our clients is that that the thing that you don't like to do, someone else actually really does like to do. So let them do that. And then you can go do the thing that you're really good at. Right. So we call it, you know, delegate and elevate to to your unique ability or to your superpower. So you have a, they have powers, you have powers, like let's getting folks doing what they're really good at and they like to do so critical, but you're right. It's tough because there's always that balancing act. When do I go make that investment? into that person or people to grow this thing. And it typically happens too late because people wait for the the dollars before the person. There is a lot of compelling cases where you make the investment before. first and then it's gonna it's gonna come back to you in tenfold because you've actually now created up and freed freed space to go do the thing that you're you're really good at. So it's yeah. but it's it, that's a hard it's a hard place because it's your money and it's it really, and it is in your pocket. I always look at absolutely. new yeah. hires and I tell companies this as well. You and and what I the plan that I put in place when I'm hiring either a, a new position, right? So these aren't creating or replacing. These are new positions because right. that's fresh money coming out is I need to budget for 3 months of training six months of becoming reasonably proficient, nine months of them actually relieving some of the stress from from the, the firm. And then by one year, I expect somebody to be profitable back to the firm. Okay. But I think you have to have a realistic expectation of how sure. this is going to cost and be able to see, okay, well, if I can commit financially for a year to this person or to this position, not necessarily this person, but this position... Sure then in a year, I will be making so much money because they'll either be creating an income for the company or it'll free, yes, me up to go do something else Freeze or it'll free other staff up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it, this, this is such an interesting topic to me and I, I, I wrestle with it. I try to talk to my clients about it and, and folks that come on, come on the podcast, we, we talk about it and, and, and when do you do it? And, and more often than not, what, what I hear back is do it before you think you're ready. Just just get ahead of it. Don't wait for it. Because if you wait to have all the revenue, 
to to justify what you're estimating a year or six months, whatever you decide that is the the return that you're going to get on on making that decision to hire, it's going to be x more double that that length of time if you wait until you have the dollar in your pocket because you you can't do it all if you if you want wanted to grow. No, and then so, it, it ultimately ends up your business suffers, right? Because you got so you waited so long to get the yeah. revenue, so you were really busy. So then something has to give, and it's. In my experience, it's typically the customer service or the product that you are providing because you can't do it all and you can't, didn't bring the right all. people on. Yeah, you, you, that's exactly right. You just you can't get to everything. And, and, and it's funny because some folks starting their business, they'll wear that as a badge of honor. Like I can do everything I'm doing. And they're running around 78 hours a week. And they said, well, why did you get in this business in the first place? Oh, I wanted to be flexible, make my own hours and control everything. <laughs> oh, you're working 80 hours a week. So yeah, what, what did you actually really want to get into this business for? And it, you, for, you forget that because you're, you're in the middle of it and you're in the middle of the stew. You can't, <laughs> can't get your way out of it. It's, it's, it's a pr- pretty common theme that we, we, we talk about getting our entrepreneurs to let go of the vine, like yeah. trust others. They're going to do it for you. Uh, there's a little story that we tell on them, but you just got you got to let go a little bit and, and trust that others so, are going to be able to do this for you. So hard. Yeah. One thing I still wrestle yeah. with is, uh, and it's silly, but like I don't know. I've I've learned to become an amazing delegator, but I walk into my office and I always feel bad when I look at somebody you know, on my team and say like, where's the envelopes? I don't, I don't know where we keep the envelopes. Right. And I think, gosh, you own this company and it's a great business and you don't even know where the envelopes are. And then I have to step back and be like, okay, because that's not your job is to know where the envelopes are. Right. That's somebody else's job, but it does, it does make me feel odd sometimes. You know, it's, it's, it's funny you bring this up. I was on a call earlier today and I'll, I'll leave the company at company out of it. The, The person was saying something, but she's, she's really done a great job growing her company and, and it's gotten large. And, and for, as she said, just recently for the first time, a client came on board. She didn't, she hadn't met the client yet. It was just, it had just gotten to that place where someone else was sold the client on board of the client, could do the work for the client. And as the CEO now of this growing firm, she didn't have that access like she did when she knew the ins and outs of every client when, when you get started. And I know it's a little bit different where you are just because of the interaction, but it was just interesting for her to say that. And, say, and, she, had, and she had to get okay with it. Like, I have a team that's going to do that. I'm thinking about the strategy of where we're going next. And, um, and you know, as businesses grow, this is what happens. And that's a hard thing, right? You, yeah, but that letting go a little bit more each time is what's going to allow you to, to make some of these jumps. It is. It's really hard, but it's necessary. Sure. So let's talk about a, a couple of things along the way as, you, as you're growing this. You mentioned it took a couple of years to hire that first person, but you know, as the phone started ringing, had to get going. I'm going to get both sides of the, the coin here. Let's just talk about something that you're sitting here today you look back and said, wow, wish I hadn't done that thing. So kind of that lesson learned early on that you can go back to and, and realize, okay, I'm going to grow and learn from that one. And then we'll flip it onto the, the positive side. You know, what was real, real catalyst for your growth? But let, let's say, you know, what's that lesson learned from early on? If, if I could go back and do that differently now, what would that be? If I could do it all over again, I would not be friends with my staff. That was mm. a really hard, long learned lesson uh, and I know that there's people that probably disagree with me, but, you know, my first hire, Carly, she was from law school. She was amazing. She was my, like, we became really good friends. And I, and, and then that happened multiple times. Uh, I had a really hard time separating myself out yeah. and, and being okay with being the boss, being okay with this. I wanted to be friendly and it made it 
so that I couldn't lead correctly. It made it so that I didn't make decisions that were best for the company all the time. And, uh, and again, it was a really hard lesson for me to learn. I lost everybody that I was friends with in within the company. And now I, I think I'm a better boss. I think I'm a better business owner. Uh, because I really am okay with not being friends with my staff. And that does not mean that I don't adore them and care about sure. them and <laughs> want what's best for them and growth. That is not what I mean. I just mean, and maybe you you know this, so you know what I mean when I say friends, I can't be friends with them, right? We're not friends. No, I, I, I t- totally get that. And, and th- this is a very you're hitting on some very common things here that we end up discovering when we when we talk to our clients and and so you're not alone in that is that the first few hires are folks that you know you do have an inherent trust because you know them on that personal level what we find a little bit differently than you described uh, is is that along the way as your business grows what you thought you hired them for their ability right their their superpower their unique ability you don't need that anymore, or you need it to be done differently. And, and then, then it becomes really tough because if they are your friend, you have to realize, well, just because we're friends, this is actually the work that I need you to do. And I'm not sure you you can do this work, right? right. So as and you define those roles, yeah, it suffers. You or, or something oftentimes yeah. stops you, right? Stops you sure. from making the corrections. That's pretty, you know, and then, and then it yeah. hopefully doesn't implode, but, you know. Well, the business suffers that way. And it, it's tough. To, you're mentioning friends. Uh, we, a lot of my peers who have been um, working with EOS and, and helping companies run on EOS for, for a long period of time, they deal with a lot of family businesses. And, and this, is, this is very common, right? You have three or four siblings or you know the business passed down and you got the, the father's trying to hand it over to his sons or his daughters or however it's set up. But we have to make a distinction just because you own the business doesn't mean that you have the right to work in the business. And it, it, that distinction is there because oftentimes people aren't capable of what needs to be done to move forward. And if you let, let them hang around, the business stalls or goes backwards, even worse, right? Or you know, doesn't make it. And it's really, really hard conversation to, to have um, friends or family. Yeah, I case. hired my mom. And I love my mom. And that was the yeah. worst mistake I ever made. Yeah. It caused Tough. us to, it completely destroyed our mother-daughter relationship that we had. And then we ended up, I would, I don't know if she would admit this, but like having a horrible, very hostile relationship for about two years after she left. And I just, I just, I would never hire, you know, my friends, my, my good close friends will come in and be like, oh, I know your, you know, your secretary quit. So let me just come in and answer the phones for you for a minute to, and I know they mean well. And I always tell them it is not that I don't believe you can do it. It's that I can't cross that line anymore. And so you're my friend. You're not going to work for me ever. <laughs> it's not you. It's me. Yeah. This is going to be better. <laughs> it's going to be better in the long run. It's going to much, much better. And, and well, great lesson that can now apply again. So you get, get, you had hurt a couple of times, but didn't slow you down so much. So that's the, that's the good, that's the lesson learned to go back in time. So what was the, what was the catalyst when you really said, okay, yeah, I've, I'm out there. I've hung my shingle. The phone's starting to ring. I've made a few hires, but we're gonna we're gonna really jump forward. What what one two things really served as catalyst for growth for you? And if you can pinpoint them, that that has allowed you really to to surge forward with your business. When I first opened my firm, so this was fairly near the beginning, but I think it has carried through, and it still is something that I really really focus on. I yeah. entered the legal community where I live 
at a time where there, I didn't think, maybe I was just oblivious to it, but I, it really seemed that the legal field was consumed with the previous generation and that it didn't have a whole lot of newer attorneys in. And I got okay. a lot of attorneys, not I would say a lot, but maybe in real life it was only six, but that came to me and kind of criticized how I was going to practice law, right? They criticized little, everything from, you know, what I was, my choice of clothing and attire as an attorney to, you know, my business cards. Like it was just, I was nitpicked. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And it was by the older generation, right? So that really, I thought, I'm going to do this my way and I'm not going to look at any other attorney. I'm going to do it how I want. I'm gonna, that was one of the reasons I started my firm. I'm going to practice how yeah. I want. And, you know, they, I don't know if you've heard the saying, I'm a runner. So um, I, there's a saying that, I, that goes around, I guess, in all sports that like, you don't win a race by looking behind you. You win a race by looking ahead. And yeah. I get people that say like, what are your competitors doing? And I can honestly tell you, I haven't a clue. Because right. I don't pay attention to them, really. I, I do what I want. I try things. And I really think it all stems from the fact, uh, I mean, probably my whole life, but that I I got so, I felt so heavily criticized for how I wanted to do things that I was like, I'm not going to pay attention to any of you. I'm going to do my way. I'm going to stay my lane and and off to the race. Yeah. And you've got, you know, you, you got that visionary spirit that that's around, right? You have an idea that you want to, that, that you want to go after and you put it out there, right? So it's that big thinking that, 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 that's out there. And that's what we, you know, we talk about having that, the vision, that, that vision to where you want to go. And then you need to find those complementary parts to execute there. Have you brought on a, a, a practice manager or a second in command or someone that, that, that helps you run all that operational <laughs> stuff? Or do you still keep part of that on there? Because I can see that it, that's, I know you're, you know, you're looking forward, right? You just said that and you're out there thinking, okay, where am I going to take this next? And what am I going to do? And and you need to have that complimentary piece uh, at some point in time. I did. I, so I brought, interestingly, I brought on, I've had m multiple attorneys work for me. Mm -hmm. I've had associates. And last year, actually, I made a shift to not bring on any new associates. I, I'm the only attorney at my firm right now. This was a very thought out decision because I was battling right. with, am I going backwards or am I going forwards? Sure. And yeah. so I, I thought, well, I'm going to, I want to take my firm in a little bit different direction. I want to focus on litigation and I want an I have an amazing support staff team. So I don't have what you would say like a practice manager or an associate attorney. I have a right. supervising paralegal who's probably like, she's the one that texts me all the time and reminds me of all of the things I forget. She stays up late with me role. at yeah. midnight yeah, when we're trying yeah. to yeah. figure something out. <laughs> and then I have a client liaison who really is there to help with all of the client management. Uh, but I am the team leader at my firm and that's really important to me. When yeah. I was saying, you know, you don't give up what you don't want to do. I really try to provide a certain kind of uh, representation. And so me being the team leader is really important. I hope to duplicate it, but uh, I needed to hone it before I could duplicate it. And that's why. I well, it sounds like it did, right? So you, you've made that adjustment, but you're, you're the tone setter. So I'm going to go back to using that word, the vi visionary there. So yes, you're, you're, you're doing that work as, as the way, but once you do have that 
honed and, and have that there. We'll be able to, to replicate it there. And as, as you bring those folks on, they'll be attracted to those values into the approach that you have. And that, that'll be, that'll be that critical part yeah. for, for the, for the next go round and, and bringing them on there. So where you go next, you mentioned you know, a shift here. So, um, you're not pr- practicing and focusing on lit- litigation. Um, and, and, and to your credit, really, really ma- making, uh, um, a lot of what I would say investments just in, in your, in your brand and, and putting yourself out there, but made some media appearances as well. So, <laughs> you know, we're, we're, I think it's great. And and this is one of the things that I, I do believe sets apart squad, uh, why I was so interested in, in talking to you. So where, where are you headed next? What's uh, next on your visionary mind? I want to, I've, I've really worked hard again, like I said, to provide a representation that I, I want. And so I'm trying to, one, become an expert in, you know, the areas that I practice, specifically within litigation. I'm better at litigation. So when I, I made mm-hmm. a, that's one of the reasons I made the strategic shift was because I wanted to get out of some of the transactional work I was doing and really focus on what my, what I'm really good at and what I enjoy the most, which is being in yeah. the courtroom. And pairing being in the courtroom with what I have learned over the years are the five essential, I call them resources, the big five in a litigation. And I think if every attorney and and client kind of demand that we use and consider all five of these resources, then representation naturally gets better, case outcome really gets better. And so that is kind of my goal moving forward is to become a, a fabulous, the best litigator that I can be considered an expert in my practice area, and then being able to share this concept with with proof of concept, which would be my my success, yeah. uh, to show that this is not only best for the client, but it can also be really good for the attorney. So we'll see where that goes. Yeah, can you share the five? I'd love yeah, to hear them. So- <laughs> yeah, share them. Let's hear it. So, I mean, yeah, um, they're out there. You put you, you teased us a little bit. So what are the they? The big five. Well, there's the yeah. facts. Right. So the facts that are in a case, but I define the facts as the evidence that actually gets put before the court, not what happened, because those are different. There's money, time, there's uh, goals. And then probably the one that's least not considered is the emotional stamina to go through a lawsuit. In every case, we have fixed facts. We can't change them. In every single case, we have an amount of money that the client is willing to dedicate to their case. So I'm not talking about money that I want to get back. I'm talking about how much money are you willing to invest in your lawsuit? We have a fixed amount of time. It could be somebody who's passing away or sick or their house is about to get demolished. You know, there's a fixed amount of time that we have to handle the case. There is ultimately the client goals. What are they trying to do? And then again, I think the one that's not recognized at all that I hope to bring to the table is how much emotional stamina does a client have to participate in this lawsuit? But the real key with these, Scott, is that they have to be reassessed all the time. Yeah, throughout, I would guess. It, changes, it's you know? it's got to change from the beginning. Yeah, for sure. Think yeah, that, yeah. I think a lot of people come in and they tell their attorney, I want to win. And the attorney's like, yes, you're going to win and you're going to get a million dollars. And maybe they get a million dollars. But at year two, they're like, I don't care. I just can't handle this anymore. That needs to be a factor that goes into all five of them, equally important that need to be considered and reconsidered and worked through and explained and understood by the attorneys, the paralegals, and the clients so that the right strategy is developed uh, through the case. So those are my big five. (laughs) 
Awesome. And thank you. Thank you for sharing that and, and <laughs> for, for indulging me on that. So, so thank you for doing that. Um, well, I did want to make sure that we give you a, a, a chance to talk a little bit more about your firm, but I, I, I want to get to know you a little better. So we always ask our guests these five quick questions. So I'm going to go ahead and do that for you. So um, first and first question we always ask is, do you have a favorite sports team or athlete that you like? I really like Elliot Kipchoge. I'm a runner, so he just amazes me. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, I used to have a running career. It's, it's long in my, my past, but I did run the half in San Diego twice. So oh, that's I've fun. That twice. <laughs> been, 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 a, been a while since I did that, though. Um, what would you eat for your last meal? Oh, gosh, probably the same stuff I eat every day. Uh, really? This is guilt-free now, so I you know, got opportunity. Sushi, probably. I'm a big fan okay. of sushi. <laughs> nice. Nice. Do you have a dream vacation spot? Something you've been to or a place you'd like to get back to? So my dream vacation spot is always someplace I haven't been. I'm not a big yeah. fan of, there's so many places to see. I'm not sure. a big fan of going back and back and back. Yeah. Okay. And do you have a favorite movie or TV show, like something like to rewatch or maybe something you're watching now? I don't make fun of me, but I love Hallmark television. I think it's because my job I is I can so make fun of you a little bit for Hallmark television. <laughs> well, I want to explain. My job is so high drama that I love all of the the low drama. I love the happy endings. Like I just really like when I'm watching TV, it's to decompress, not to get all tense. I pick on my daughter about this all the time, but it <laughs> typically features a gazebo and a rekindling of a high school relationship. Uh, he went off or she went off to the big city. Then they've come home and, you know, there's a gazebo and it's it's snowing. That, that's my typical Hallmark. It totally <laughs> is. And I sometimes wish that like the really powerful, because it's usually a powerful woman, right? The really powerful that's woman right. doesn't end up with like the handyman. Like, why can't she just have a nice dude who also is successful? <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. And do you have a, a favorite quote or piece of advice that, that you kind of fall fall back or fall back on a turn to whenever whenever you need need that little inspiration? Uh my favorite quote was on a big huge Adidas poster when I ran my first marathon and I wanted to quit and I had already given myself permission to get to the first or the next aid station and go home. Uh, and I turned around this corner and there was a, I mean, it felt like it was the size of a building. It probably wasn't. And it right. said, all the pain you're feeling now is nothing. The finish line won't cure. And I finished the marathon and I truly, I apply that to absolutely everything. Like there's a grind, there's sucky things that happen. And if you just embrace the suck and know that there, there is a point where it can't get any worse. <laughs> and so just keep pushing through. So that's kind of the saying I keep going back to. Uh, the best part of running is finishing. There is no no doubt about it. And uh, yeah, having I've done two. I'm never doing one again. But I've done two marathons, and I'll I'm put doing that an ultra. Side. I'm doing my first ultra in November. Are you really? Um, but I like that saying not only from the running aspect. I sure, really it think applies. it it works in just every life situation, right? Because yeah. we get so pulled down, whether it's emotionally or whatever it is, and. And we think, oh, I just like, I just don't want to do it anymore. I want to give up. And it's like, well, no, but once you reach whatever it is you're trying to reach for, you totally forget oh, yeah. everything else, Absolutely. right? So yeah. if you just remind yourself that like, I'm just going to keep doing it because when I get there, it's going to wipe out all of the pain, suffering, everything I've done because I made it. And I think that's why it just resonated. No, it's, it's tremendous. I love it. I love it. I love it. 
Uh, it's been absolutely fantastic, Kevin. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for for spending time. And uh, we did have a little technical difficulty, so uh, hopefully that's not noticeable here in the, in the final product. But uh, Rachel and I worked through something in the middle there. We, <laughs> we got it got it all straightened away here uh, with the with the version you're hearing. Rachel, where can folks find you and learn more about your story and learn more about your firm and and your plans for the future? My firm is The Lawyer King. It's on the web. And also I'm on all of the socials at The Lawyer King. And then everything that I'm doing personally is rachelkingattorney.com. So you can find out about what I have going on professionally outside of my law firm. But I, I would love follows, you know, shout out, tell me, ask me questions. I'm, I'm a big fan of sharing knowledge and engaging. Thank you so much. Appreciate that, Rachel. Thanks for taking time out of your afternoon and your busy day to join us here on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. It's been my pleasure having you on board. Thank you so much. I've had a great time. Thanks, Rachel. The Grow Your Damn Business podcast is hosted by Scott Goodrich, a professional EOS implementer. To learn more about EOS and how it might help grow your damn business, you can email Scott at scott.goodrich at eosworldwide.com or check out his website at www.eosworldwide.com forward slash Scott hyphen Goodrich. Thank you for listening to the Grow Your Damn Business podcast. If you found this conversation valuable, subscribe to our YouTube channel and find us on your favorite podcast platform. We will see you next week on the Grow Your Damn Business podcast.